Hey, this is Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And I'm Alex Berg, and you're listening to the I'm I'm from from Driftwood Driftwood Podcast. A quick favor to ask our listeners before jumping into today's episode. Take a few seconds to leave a five-star rating on the I'm from Driftwood Podcast. More ratings and reviews help the podcast appear in recommendations, which means more people who need to hear all these queer and trans stories will be able to find them more easily. It just takes a few seconds and would make a big difference. All right, now on to today's episode. On today's show, we're talking about non-binary voices. If I sound different than I normally do, it's because I'm having some technical issues with my mic, but we are going to forge ahead with this conversation. And the first story we're going to talk about is Ada. When I was in seventh grade, I had this Latin teacher. She had been my Latin teacher a year before, and she was also my advisor this year. Um, And I was going to her office for help with Latin because I was really struggling with it. Um, And I eventually pulled my grade up quite a bit by like going to her office almost every other day and kind of getting, seeking the help that I needed. Um, And she really worked with me and she was really patient. Uh, One of those times in like the middle of seventh grade when I was in her office, um, I started feeling kind of flushed while I was talking to her and kind of like intense and awkward and I didn't really know what to say anymore. And I realized I, I have a crush on her. First, I realized I was gay a little after realizing I had that extensive of a crush on my Latin teacher. Then I started realizing maybe I'm bisexual or pansexual because I feel like I'm attracted to men too. And I don't really know what's going on with that or how to really identify that. And then like, as I got older and became a more sexual person, I started just noticing people of all all types of genders. Fast forward to sophomore year in high school, we were performing at a Christmas chapel um, in this little place like four blocks away from my school, um, this little church. And I started feeling really uncomfortable in the dress that I was wearing. I started feeling like it was really tight and it was really like clinging to me and the dress actually fit me fine. I, up to up to this point, it fit me fine and there was no problem. So I realized that I was basically having a panic attack. And so I went to the uh, ladies bathroom downstairs um, in the basement. Um, and I just like unzipped my dress a little bit and I calmed down. I tried, I tried to calm myself and I tried to talk myself down and breathe in and out. But I was feeling really confused about my feelings because it felt like not only did I not want to be in the dress, I also didn't really want to be in my body really that much. I kind of just wanted things to change about me that I'd never really fully wanted to change before. When I got home that night, I started Googling these terms. I started like Googling, like I literally put in Google, not a, not a boy, not a girl, like what why, why do I feel like this? Or um, I, I kind of knew um, what transgender meant and I had heard non-binary before. So I started Googling like non-binary people and like if you feel you're non-binary or what to do. And I saw these stories, um, just I saw these stories and these, this terminology that was pretty new to me. It was really great for me that, that other people uh, were sharing their experiences and, and, and 
that I had a notion of what non-binary meant and, and uh, what gender fluid meant. Um, and so I started feeling like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm fluid. Um, to this day, I don't really have a label for who I am. I just feel masculine some days. I feel more femme other days. Uh, I use they, them pronouns now, and I have for a little bit. Now, in my junior year of college, um, I just, I am non-binary and I, and I call myself gender fluid and I, and I am gender fluid. Um, but I don't always call myself gender fluid. I don't always, uh, stick to one thing with myself. And I think it's really important, uh, if you're constantly questioning, you can be constantly questioning. You can be on a spectrum. You can be at three different points on the spectrum or just like traveling around and you're just like, I don't know, I'm on the spectrum. Yay. Like it's, it's fine. And I think it's important for people to know that, to know that they don't have to own up to one label or be one thing, um, no matter the pressure they get to do that. I loved this story because I loved that Ada doesn't feel the need to adopt a label. And I think we're in a time right now where we have a lot of terms, we have a lot of identities, and I think people should obviously have the right to decide to identify or not identify. And I know that's weird for some people, that's confusing for some people, but I prefer to take people at their word. Tell me what you'd like me to call you. Tell me what your pronouns are. Tell me if you decide you don't want to identify as anything, that's fine. I want to know what it is you want. And I want to follow that and respect your wishes in that way. What do you think about that, Alex? I'm completely with you. I feel like the question of labeling, like on the one hand, sometimes labels have utility in terms of being able to convey yourself to the rest of the world. But I think really I aspire to a world where everyone does just get to be themselves at the end of the day. So I'm with you when you say that, you know, you want to ask people what, how they want to be seen in this world and, and accept them as they are in that way. So absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoyed this story, just kind of the different narrative beats of it going from this interaction with the teacher to then wearing a dress and feeling uncomfortable to then being able to like Google different labels and also living in this place where as an individual, you're fluid and you don't have to ascribe to a specific gender. And it just makes me feel like, you know, to still feel as though being fluid is, I think, like a revolutionary act. It just speaks to how our society is so invested in the gender binary. Yeah. And just how intensely married to the gender binary the rest of our society and culture is. And that even I think that sometimes that feeds into this intense hunger for outsiders to, to need to label queer, trans, fluid, non-binary folks as well. I feel like a lot of times it kind of makes me think about how it's almost about the other person and not about ourselves as LGBTQI plus people, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's about somebody yeah. else's comfort and not yes. our own for living with the ambiguities. I, I agree. And I think it's it's about trying to make sense of the world as you know it and opposing that on someone else, right? It, it is about someone else. It's like, if I can put you in this box and I can understand you better. And I'm like, you can understand me in, in or out of the box. <laughs> like in both ways, you can understand me as a human. So we should really stop. <laughs> we really should just cut that out. 
Well, one of the other things that makes me think about is just how we are presented with such limited options in terms of gender identity and sexual orientation from the jump that it can often take us time to figure out where we fit and how we even want to recognize our own identities. And this makes me think about our other story from Dubs Weinblatt. Uh, when I was 20 years old, back when I was at Ohio State, I had been having a lot of trouble with drinking. I was drinking all the time. And um, when I would drink, I would get really depressed and really sad and a lot of times really angry. And my friends always had to deal with me um, and all those different emotions. And there was one evening when I was drinking alone, Natty Light, in my room. Uh, my, my roommate and best friend came in and she basically um, gave me an ultimatum. And she was like, you're my best friend and I love you, but I can't keep dealing with you uh, and your drinking because it's, I have to take care of you every time you're drinking, which is all the time. And I really, I love you and I care about you, but I need you to tell me what's going on because something obviously is going on. And, you know, this was my moment of truth. I always known that I was gay since my first thought of knowing anything. And um, I had kept it a secret for 20 years and this was my moment. Um, and so I couldn't verbally say what I wanted to say. So I took a post-it and I wrote, I'm bi on it. Um, and I handed it to her and she literally just looked at it and she's like, that's it? And I burst out crying and like 20 years of pent up fear and sadness and any, emo any emotion you can think of just came pouring out and I cried for I don't even know how long and she held me. And in my head, I thought that everything after that uh, was going to be solved. You know, I'm gay. I knew I was gay. I just couldn't tell anyone. Um, but that's not really what happened. I, I continued drinking and kind of stayed in a, in a depressed state. And I kind of just thought maybe that was the baseline of who I was. 10 years later, when I was in New York City, one of my friends from Columbus, Ohio was playing at a party. And it turns out that the party was during Pride Week and it was a lipstick lesbian awareness party in the Lower East Side. And my first thought is like, awesome, I'm gonna see all these hot femme girls and I'm gonna be in heaven. I went to this party with the same best friend who I came out with on a post-it. So I'm looking around and I see all these feminine women and it's beautiful sight. And then I realized that I am not, not only am I not a lesbian, but I'm realizing that I'm attracted to women, but that I don't necessarily identify as a woman. And it was as if like this glass box that had all the gender identity notions had shattered right then and there at the bar while my friend was playing the music and it you know it got silent and I was like wow my life is not what I thought it was and I started realizing that I didn't identify with my name and I didn't identify with parts of my body and I didn't identify with pronouns and I didn't identify with everything that I had been raised with needing to be who I was um because that just wasn't who I was. And so it was, a, it was very mind-boggling for me to realize that there was something so big and so deep that I was dealing with that I had no idea was even going on in my head. So once I had the epiphany at the party, um, I decided to talk to my family and friends about it and read articles and books. My drinking still didn't get any better, even though I had still been exploring and discovering things about myself. Um, and then about two years later, I um, started seeing an LGBTQ specialist who kind of got me right on track of where I needed to be. Um, and it wasn't until I found a surgeon 
I made my first consultation, I finally realized that I was able to have my drinking under control. Because even after coming out as genderqueer and talking about it, um, there still was something off about how I was able to control myself. And it wasn't until I really took control over how I was feeling and what I needed to be healthy. I think a lot of people um, have the idea that you have to be male or female and that there's no middle. But, you know, you don't have to stick to one or the other. And I think that it's important for me, especially because I have had top surgery now um, and don't identify as trans, um, that I just am me. And so I want other people to know that it's okay to be them no matter what combination of label or surgery or identification that they have. The story just made me think about how we are having to go through these processes on our own and almost just like figure it out for ourselves because that uh, the only thing that we know is there is one possibility, which is maybe if you're having these feelings where you're like, I don't align with the options that are presented to me, then maybe it must be because I'm bi or gay or mm -hmm. queer. And it's like, you're almost having to go on this like journey Mm -hmm. of, of self-discovery and just to find the resources that might help guide you. Yeah, very true. Very true. There was a quote that I, I kind of wrote down from the story that I really love. And Dub says, it was as if a glass box had that had all the gender identity notions shattered. And, and that was, I think that was something they said after they realized being at the party that they were attracted to all these hot women and all these femme women, but they, they were like, but I am not one of these women, <laughs> right? You know, so, and it was just like, I, I love that. Cause it was like, that was a moment of clarity of like, wait a minute, <laughs> the, all of this that was constructed in my mind, none of this is a real thing for me, right? This is not a real thing for me. And I want to break out of it. And I want to understand broader definitions of what it means to be me and how I identify. I, I just love that. Yeah, I love the idea of having a last box of gender to break. If this is a literal box, I would like to break it myself. Can we just like throw it over a cliff? What can we do to destroy it? I, I'm totally here for that. Yeah, I think that, gosh, it makes me think like there, I've had so many, it, that resonates with me because there are so many moments I feel like where understanding the people around me and like how they were identifying ended up impacting my own conception yeah. of self or like mm -hmm. helps you connect the dots about mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you have to like meet somebody who you're like, I'm, I'm you, whatever you are, like I'm, I'm you, you know, I, I get that. Yeah. I mean, which speaks to why we talk about visibility all the time. This is why people need to see that representation. And sometimes they will look at it and say, wait a minute, I think that's me. I think that's me. That's why that is so very important. And, you know, with that, we have Dubs back with us. And I, I can't wait to jump into talking to Dubs about their story and sort of expanding on what happened that day and what's going on now. So welcome back, Dubs. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. This is such a treat. So, Dubs, before we jump into your story, we want to know how you're doing right now. Right now, in this moment, I'm feeling really good. I'm today I'm 500 days sober which is for me, as, as you alluded to earlier, I had a drinking problem. And that was, you know, when I talk about it in the story, I was 20 and that kind of didn't go away until last year when I took matters into my own hands. So celebrating, feeling really good about 500 days because I never thought that that was possible. So just holding on to that feeling today. 
it's really great that we can catch up with you again because so much time has passed. So, you know, you open up about being 20 years old and having the problems, you know, having problems with drinking and you were confronted by your friend and you opened up about your sexuality. And I, I know that you talk about it like that being something that was on your mind for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what that moment was like when you when you were finally able to release that and talk to your friend and tell them about yourself. What did that feel like? What did that release feel like to you? It was incredible. I mean, it was incredible. It was something that, you know, you allude to, right? Like I had I had known like just from the first moments of consciousness knew that I was queer in all, in all of the way, like all of all of the ways, but didn't have the language, the understanding the safety or security, the the visibility, the representation, you know, all of that, you know, in the Midwest in the 80s, you know, and so I kept it locked tight inside, you know, that's what started my drinking in high school was like escape and self-harm and just like not caring about whether I lived or died essentially, you know, and I would be so careful about the things that I would say, because I was so terrified that I was going to out myself, which actually feels counterintuitive of like, you're getting so drunk. Won't don't want you accidentally. I was like, I was so drunk and also so aware that like, I don't know how I was able to do that, but I never accidentally did anything that would out myself. So at the time, my close group of friends attended church in the, I was gonna say 2020, that is not right. In the 2000 six, seven, eight, four, one of the presidential elections, <laughs> whatever it was, they voted for Bush instead of Kerry. And so in my mind, <laughs> like that meant like you are going to be closed minded. And there was no room for me to have for anyone to have nuance or, you know, to be like voting just because that's what their parents did or going to church because that's what their parents did. And that's what they grew up. It just was like, this is the definitive thing, how you're going to react. And so I was really scared to tell her, but it was like, basically like, there was like an ultimatum of like, I'm not going to be your friend anymore until you tell me what's going on. And so I wrote it on a post-it. And at that point I used the word bisexual because, you know, I, I, up to that point I was dating and physical with cisgender men. You know, at that point I had no idea about gender nuance at all. I say all of that because I think a lot of times bisexuals get erased and they get like glossed over, like their identity is not real. And like, that was not my intention when I wrote it on the post-it. I just want to be very clear of that. I think that that's what felt right in the moment. And I think that that also speaks to how our language evolves over time and how our language for ourselves evolves over time as we learn about ourselves and also as we learn about new words. So it was the best release ever, because I think one of the things that's so scary about coming out to somebody is what their reaction is going to be. And I told her, and she literally just was like, that's it. And I was like, like I had all this for 20 years pent up terror. And the, you know, one of my best people in the world was like, okay with it. And so we both just cried for a long time and she held me and it was just, it was a very, very nice, big, incredible release and relief. And then it wasn't because then I had to start, then I was like, okay, well now I actually have to like do this (laughs) now that I've said it now I have to live it. And those are two different things of like admitting to something and then living in that truth. And so the, the comings out after that were challenging. Cause I also, you know, each person I was like, how are you going to react? And like, now I actually like have to date women and that feels really terrifying, but also like what I want to be doing, but also terrifying. So it was 
quite a roller coaster. What about what about your family? I mean, did, did you end up having any conversations with them? I do want to say that all of those friends that I was scared about and voted for Bush and went to church are all gay. <laughs> so uh, we all I was the first to come out. I will say that my friend who I came out to was actually secretly dating one of my friends from high school. Wasn't her her time to come out, but I was like, well, that would have been nice to know. <laughs> so, but anyway, seriously, right, right, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in a Jewish household, and we also didn't talk about politics, and so there was never really there was never any intentional homophobic things, homophobic transphobic things happening in my household, but what was happening were like jokes or things that they didn't think were harmful that I was like making mental notes about, or like they would like say like offhand comments, but it wasn't like gay people are bad. Like I never heard that, but it was like the, the nuanced of like, did you see blah, 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 or like whatever, like the gossip. And so that's what I clung on to. And so when I told, I mean, when I told my mom, she was like, I just want you to be happy. I want you to be safe. And then she asked me like invasive questions about sex. And I was like, I'm literally never talking to you about this. And my, I made my mom tell my dad and my dad was also very supportive. It's like very similar to when I came out to them as trans. It's like, they're like, I'm, I'm gesturing widely. Everyone who's listening, like overall very like love and support, which is so lucky. And I'm so grateful for that. But then it's like, when you get into the like minutia of it and the like day to day and like, how do you actually talk about it and live it that's when there's like hard conversations that I have to keep having like my my dad it took him a handful of years to accept that like I wasn't going to marry a nice Jewish boy and like the narrative that he had for me was not my own narrative and he had to rewrite that for himself and so a lot of that kind of stuff you know, that just speaks to the coming out and how coming out is a journey. It, there is like, there's, there are parts of it. You know, people think that it's about having that conversation and letting someone know about their identity or their sexuality. And then that's the end of the story. And there's, there's just so much more to it that, that, than that. There's, you know, there's a, there's the day-to-day, like you said, there's the minutia. So it, it makes sense that your parents were like great at first. And then you had to like, as you got into the weeds, you had to like help them sort of drive the car so they didn't go off the road because <laughs> yeah. it, it happens, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, fast forwarding 10 years from the beginning of your story, you are at this fantastic party, which I wish I had been at this party. It sounds like a fantastic party. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, who's throwing like, the lipstick? Where, why was I not invited? Right? right. Why wasn't I at a party? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> oh, it was so good. I mean, it sounds great. <laughs> and you know, you you're talking like about how excited about the part, excited you were about the party, and you're gonna see all these hot femme girls, and it's gonna be like heaven for you. It wound up being a major epiphany for you about your own gender identity. Mm-hmm. And I want you to take us back to the party and what made you have that aha moment. So I get there and. I'm just looking around and A, I'm yes in heaven because like I love lots of people and (laughs) I'm looking around and I'm like, I like not only do I not belong here because I'm not a lipstick lesbian. It just was like it was like in succession of like, I'm not 
there was just like, there was such a like disconnect of me being in the space. And I was like trying to reconcile in real time of like, you know, I'm imagining, I don't know for sure, but I'm like, sure. I was wearing my like army cargo shorts. Like I was like the op, like not that femmes can't wear cargo shorts. They can, but in my, in my like binary narrative in my head, however long years ago, seven years ago, oh, I'm uncomfortable because I'm not a lipstick lesbian. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable because I'm not a lesbian. I'm not a lesbian because I'm not a woman. And it just was like, this is when the glass was shattering. It was like that, that the boundary, the, the binary boundary that I was stuck in just, it literally cracked open. And also at that time I had a messenger bag, my messenger bag across my chest. And for me, part of my journey was feeling disconnect and dysphoria around my chest. And so it was like in that moment, I was like, I hate the way that my bag feels on my body. And like, it just, it just all clicked. I don't, I don't have, I really don't know. It was like magic. I just don't know how it happened. And I, so the same friend who I came out to 10 years earlier is the same friend at this party with me. I turned to Dolce and I say, oh my God, like, I'm not a woman. I'm not a lesbian. I'm not a woman. And she's like, okay, great. Like, what is that? I was like, I don't know. But like, here we are. <laughs> like, this is true. And then I was like, I hate my breasts. And she's like, okay. And I was like, I hate my name. And she was like, okay, which we actually had the same first name. So I was like, no offense to you. And then I just was like, it, it, it felt like, euphoria because I had finally, and I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out kind of like the order of operations of like, did I know about gender queer and non-binary before this moment? Or did I come to it on my own? Like that those identities exist or did I come to it on my own and then find the words for it later? I don't actually know. Regardless, I knew for sure as hell I wasn't a woman. And that, that part is like the most important piece. Uh, But then I would start to ask myself, well, am I a man? Because I knew trans, transgender, I knew binary transgender people existed. And I was like, is that me? And I just was like, I don't think so. But then where did that leave me? And actually, I wrote something down and you were talking about Ada's story about like not feeling the need to adopt labels. And you, you both were talking about just let people, you know, self-identify and how incredible it is to be fluid. And all of that is true. And I want to add a layer of nuance to it of like the power of labels when you get to put it on for yourself. So it's like, once I learned (laughs) the word genderqueer, I was like, holy shit, that's me. And it was so empowering. It's almost like when we can own that process ourselves, then eventually for some people that label might not matter as much because we've we've figured it out for ourselves right and then for some people those labels are incredibly empowering i know a lot of binary trans people who like cling very strongly to the word man or woman because they have fought their fucking asses off to own their identity and so it's just it's interesting of like allowing folks to just do what's empowering for them whether that's hold on to a label or not hold on to a label. And I know you've said that a little bit, but just adding like there is power in it when we can do it for ourselves. Amen. I wish that our uh, listeners could see Phil and I just like nodding so much. <laughs> Phil is now clapping. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm completely with you. And I just have such an appreciation for the the layer that you added there of labels. I feel like I just, you know, want to live in a world where we have room for everyone to do whatever feels the most affirming to them at all times, no matter 
if they feel strongly about labels or if they're figuring out the labels, all the things. One of the things you were talking about as well was after you had this epiphany at the party, you spent time actually doing research and reading articles and books. Was there anything in particular that was a great resource for you or that you saw yourself in when you were in that period of time? Something I feel like a downfall of mine is I love asking for help, but like when it comes to like, I mean, this is going to get heady, (laughs) but like, I think because I grew up struggling, like that's how my brain is wired. Like I'm comfortable in the struggle because that's what I, that's how I was like raised. And so like, I probably could have done more to help myself both with alcohol or with identity, but instead I like did it the hard way of like, not, not really researching as like thoroughly as I could have, or not really, you know, talking to people as, as thoroughly as I could have. And instead just like struggled on my own with it because that's where I felt comfortable. And I'm working on realizing that there's like, I'm not alone in any of these things and like, just Google it. (laughs) and Like you'll find a million things of whatever it is, but that's, I think that's kind of where I was at that time. Fair enough. That sounds good. (laughs) Another part of your journey was seeing the LGBTQIA specialist. And I want to know that, are you, are you a proponent of therapy now? Are you, is that something that's ongoing for you? Absolutely. I still see the same therapist (laughs) all these years later. So this, the moment that I like in that lipstick lesbian awareness party moment, I was in therapy and I upped it to, to twice a week. And I was like, I, let's just figure this out. So I guess now I'm like contradicting what I just said, but like that was, but I did it, but he was like a cis man in his like sixties. And not to say that cis men in their sixties aren't educated on the LGBTQ community. That's not true. This particular person was not. (laughs) And so it actually was a struggle, which is actually maybe not contradictory then because I was like struggling with him and like getting him to understand what I was going through. And I was like so new to it that I couldn't educate him on it because I was like, I don't even know either like what I'm talking about. And so it like he did help me a lot. But one of my tipping points was when I told him that my name is Dubs now and like he should call me Dubs. I like when I walked into a session once, I, I looked over and saw his like his notepad and he had my dead name written. And I confronted him and I said, listen, I told you my name is Dubs and I see that you have my dead name written. And he's like, well, this is just for me. It doesn't matter. And I was like, it does matter. It absolutely matters because you're not, it's very clear. You don't understand what we're talking about. If you have my dead name written and then are going to engage in this conversation with me. And so I then, I think at that point I had also been seeing my therapist, my, my like specialist therapist. And so, cause he was also helping me navigate to get top surgery. And so I ended up terminating with a problematic therapist and staying with my specialist and yeah, therapy is so helpful and it is so important when you have access to it. It, Not everyone has access, which is unfortunate, but it's so important to have someone who understands the nuance of identity and understands you and can affirm and base things in reality. I think a lot of times for trans people, non-binary people, queer people, I know this term gets thrown around so much, but like we are gaslit into thinking that 
we are overreacting or we're too sensitive. And it's helpful to have a neutral person be like, no, the way you're reacting makes sense because your reality is being denied or your inherent dignity is being questioned and challenged. And so it's helpful. And it's also helpful just to work things through with somebody. I hear all of that. Well, in the story at the time, you call yourself genderqueer, which is a term that sometimes overlaps with being non-binary and sometimes has its own unique definition. What would you say is the main difference between the two? How do you see them overlapping if you do? And then how has your identity evolved since the video when you use that term? Yeah, I still use genderqueer. I don't really ever use non-binary for myself. There was a period of time when I would correct people when they said that I was non-binary because I was in that particular part of my journey. And now it doesn't bother me as much. And I think that just illustrates what I was saying earlier. It's like now that I'm settled in who I am in this moment, having that particular term doesn't trigger anything in me because really they mean the same thing. (laughs) Just one feels more affirming than the other to me. I know lots of people who use both interchangeably, people who only use non-binary and not genderqueer. For me, it's simply genderqueer just feels better and like feels more authentic. And then to answer your question about where I am now, I do now use the word transgender. So when I, when people ask, I say I'm a a genderqueer trans person. What else has changed? I started testosterone last July. So July of 2020. And that also has been really an incredible journey. That was one of those things where I think there's, there is so much stigma attached to trans identities. And I was deathly afraid of being a trans person because of all of the stigma and all of the like negative ways that trans people are treated and I just was so afraid of being a trans person that I was like, oh, I can be genderqueer and not a trans person, which there are people who are that (laughs) if that word is not empowering to them. But I realized that the word transgender is empowering for me and that I had to like work through with in therapy that like moving past the stigma of it and like owning it. And the idea I I had been talking about testosterone in therapy for years. And then I stopped talking about it. And then I would talk about it and I'd stop talking about it. And my therapist sent me this like packet of, from like the world health organization about like the effects of testosterone. And I like, I remember I like read through it and I was like, nah, 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 nah. I like, wasn't even like being thoughtful about it. And I was like, I don't need this. And just like threw it away. I think I just deleted the email. And it actually was like during the pandemic when like everything stopped And as for so many people, like things just got quiet and lots of people like went inward and like found things out about themselves and testosterone kept coming up for me. And I was like, I can't keep shoving it down because there's, it's obviously affecting me negatively. And so I need to talk, figure this out. So started talking about it again and it coincided with me stopping drinking. And so I think having that clarity and that space and gave me the the courage to start testosterone. And so, you know, because if you listen to any interviews with me before July of last year, I was like very adamantly like someone who was like, I'm not taking, I'm not going to do testosterone. That's not for me. I can be a trans person without testosterone and like very, very like firm on it. And then it's like to all of our points, this whole conversation about fluidity, it's like I had to get there on my own in my own time 
And now, and some of the things that were scary for me was like facial hair. I was like that, or like my voice dropping. I was like, cause that would be a like very obvious change from what I was pre-testosterone until like into testosterone, if that makes sense. And like, I was scared to have to talk about it with people or I was scared to have to field people's reactions to hearing a deeper voice or facial hair. You know what I mean? And like not wanting to witness transphobic shit. (laughs) Like I just was trying to protect myself. And then it's wild because as my voice has been dropping and as my facial hair is coming in, it's like, those are the two most empowering things that are happening for me. It's like, oh my God, I fucking love this. And so it's just so interesting to me how that, how it shifts and how I made a complete 180 and it just, it, it's wild how that shit happens. With all of that said, in what ways would you like to see the LGBTQ plus community show up as a whole for genderqueer folks? I think people who hold more power, so cis people in the community, you know, if they aren't already modeling, sharing their pronouns, I think that's really, really important step for for all folks to share their pronouns because it helps us normalize the practice. And it also takes out the assumption of you have to look a certain way to use a certain set of pronouns. Advocating for more neutral language, like company-wide memos or, you know, wherever, wherever we're seeing binary gender pop up, having people with cis privilege use that privilege and say, hey, like, actually, this isn't inclusive. This isn't encompassing of all people also talking about like bathroom situations and are there only a men's room and a women's room and how can we advocate for all gender restrooms or thinking about, I mean, really just everything, (laughs) like at anywhere where it's binary, like how do we create it? So it's not exclusive of genderqueer and non-binary people. Those are the kind of the few things that are just coming to the top of my head. Cool. So let's switch tracks a bit and talk about your improv group and podcast called Thank You for Coming Out. You're the founder. And can you tell us a little bit about Thank You for Coming Out and its mission? Yeah, I'm, I love that you asked me what the mission is, because that is I don't have a mission statement. <laughs> it's been, we I founded it in 2015 and I'm still trying to figure that out. But essentially, the whole point of Thank You for Coming Out is to give a platform to LGBTQ people to share their stories and for people to connect over those stories. And so it started as an improv show where someone would share a coming out story and then queer improvisers would bring that story to life using improv. And, you know, for the storyteller, it's incredible. I've been a storyteller a few times over the years. And what I've feedback I've gotten from folks is like, we, you talked about this earlier of like, you know, you don't just come out once and you're done you know, it's an ongoing process for a lot of people. And some of those are not the easiest moments in in our lives. And so sharing one of those stories on stage and then seeing it brought to life with improv, which is comedy, is healing. And it helps people think about their story through a different framework or laugh at something that maybe was painful in the past and helps create different synapses around that pain. It's also just fun to watch people like make fun of your, make fun of, I mean, at least for me, it's not, we're not making fun of, we are lovingly poking at and recreating. And like, and through that, you know, people are connecting and we're saying like, oh, I'm not alone in this. And I also felt that way, or this is the first time I'm seeing a trans person on in public talk about 
top surgery or, you know, whatever it might be. And so it's just, it's a really great connector of, and, and way to create visibility into identity. So when I was approached to start the podcast by Schneps Media, I was like, well, I've never hosted a podcast, but sure. I love to talk as we can all attest to in this interview. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's exciting because when I'm the when I'm the interviewer, I very much try to not talk at all. <laughs> There's a lot. And so when the tables are turned, I'm like, I am taking up all the airtime. <laughs> so thank you for letting me do that. So similarly, it's the podcast is to give platform, give an opportunity f- for folks to share their stories. I always open it with like, we all have multiple coming out and coming into ourselves stories. And like, can I hear one? Because <laughs> it's like, when I started, I was like, tell me your coming out story. And it's like, we all we all have many. So like, so it's just interesting how that even that evolved over time of how I talk about that. So as we wind down, is there, are there any projects that you're doing that you want our listeners to know about anything that we should keep an eye on? Well, definitely my podcast. Thank you for coming out. And we don't have any shows in the books now, but I would imagine we'll have some coming up. Other than that, not much right now. I've uh, I'm I've turned a lot of my focus to like consulting and like teaching and less like entertainmenty like come watch this thing kind of thing. Well, if folks are interested in hitting you up for some consulting or they want to listen to the podcast, where can they find you on the internet and social media? Yeah, so you can go to dubsweinblatt.com. You can go to thankyouforcomingout.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and it's at E-L-D-U-B-B-S 12. L-Dubs 12. And then, or at thank you for coming out. Awesome. Dubs, this was a fantastic conversation. It was so nice speaking to you. Great meeting you. Uh, I think people should definitely subscribe to your podcast. Check it out. And I'm sure that they're They can't wait for you to bring those live shows back because we want to be in queer spaces with each other again, hopefully soon. Vaccinated and together. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. We want to go to your live show. So we'll we'll have to stay posted. Yes. Amazing. Thank you both so much. And nice to meet both of you. And thanks for letting me talk so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's our pleasure. Driftwood Podcast is hosted by Phil, a.k.a. Corinne and Alex Berg, and is produced by Andy Egan Thorpe. It's recorded as a program of I'm From Driftwood, the LGBTQAI plus story archive. Its mission is to send a life-saving message to queer and trans people everywhere. You are not alone. I'm From Driftwood's founder and executive director is Nathan Mansky. Its program director is Damian Middlefeld. Our score is provided by Elevate Audio. The stories you heard today are available in their entirety, plus thousands more at imfromdriftwood.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Additional funding is provided by the Humanities New York Sharp Grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal American Rescue Plan Act. Thanks for listening, y'all.